Section 18 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Section 18. The Story of Allah ad or The Wonderful Lamp, Part 3. As it was now late, and the time for admission to the palace was past, it was put off till the next day. The mother and son talked of different matters the remaining part of the day, and Allah ad strove to encourage her in the task she had undertaken, while she, notwithstanding all his arguments, could not persuade herself she should succeed, and it must be confessed she had reason enough to doubt. "'Child,' said she to Allah ad "'if the sultan should receive me as favourably as I wish for your sake, "'should even hear my proposal with calmness, "'and, after this scarcely to be expected reception, "'should think of asking me where lie your riches and your estate, "'for he will sooner inquire after these than your person. "'If I say he should ask me these questions,' What answer would you have me return him? Let us not be uneasy, mother, replied Alla ad about what may never happen. First, let us see how the sultan receives, and what answer he gives you. If it should so fall out, that he desires to be informed of what you mention, I have thought of an answer, and am confident that the lamp which hath supported us so long will not fail me in time of need. The tailor's widow could not say anything against what her son then proposed, but reflected that the lamp might be capable of doing greater wonders than just providing victuals for them. This consideration satisfied her, and at the same time removed all the difficulties which might have prevented her from undertaking the service she had promised her son with the sultan. Allah ad who penetrated into his mother's thoughts, said to her, Above all things, mother, be sure to keep secret our possession of the lamp, for thereupon depends the success we have to expect. And after this caution, Allah ad and his mother parted to go to rest. But violent love, and the great prospect of so immense a fortune, had so much possessed the son's thoughts, that he could not repose himself so well as he could have wished. He rose before daybreak, awakened his mother, pressing her to get herself dressed to go to the sultan's palace, and to get admittance, if possible, before the grand vizier, the other viziers, and the great officers of state, went in to take their seats in the divan, where the sultan always assisted in person. Allah mother took the china dish in which they had put the jewels the day before, wrapped in two napkins, one finer than the other which was tied at the four corners for more easy carriage, and set forward for the sultan's palace. When she came to the gates, the grand vizier, the other viziers, and most distinguished lords of the court were just gone in. But notwithstanding, the crowd of people who had business was great. She got into the divan, a spacious hall, the entrance into which was very magnificent. She placed herself just before the sultan, Grand Vizier, and the great lords, who sat in council on his right and left hand. 
Several causes were called, according to their order, pleaded and adjudged, until the time the divan generally broke up, when the sultan rising returned to his apartment, attended by the grand vizier. The other viziers and ministers of state then retired, as also did those whose business had called them thither, some pleased with gaining their causes, others dissatisfied at the sentences pronounced against them, and some in expectation of theirs being heard the next sitting. Alla ad Deen's mother, seeing the sultan retire, and all the people depart, judged rightly that he would not sit again that day, and resolved to go home. When Alla ad Deen saw her return with the present designed for the sultan, he knew not what to think of her success, and in his fear lest she should bring him some ill news, had not courage to ask her any questions. But she, who had never set foot in the sultan's palace before, and knew not what was every day practised there, freed him from his embarrassment, and said to him, with a great deal of simplicity, "'Son, I have seen the sultan, and am very well persuaded he has seen me too, for I placed myself just before him. But he was so much taken up with those who attended on all sides of him, that I pitied him, and wondered at his patience. At last, I believe he was heartily tired, for he rose up suddenly, and would not hear a great many who were ready prepared to speak to him, but went away, at which I was well pleased, for indeed I began to lose all patience, and was extremely fatigued with staying so long. But there is no harm done. I will go again to-morrow. Perhaps the sultan may not be so busy. Though his passion was very violent, Alla ad was forced to be satisfied with this delay, and to fortify himself with patience. He had at least the satisfaction to find that his mother had got over the greatest difficulty, which was to procure access to the sultan, and hoped that the example of those she saw speak to him would embolden her to acquit herself better of her commission when a favourable opportunity might offer to speak to him. The next morning she repaired to the sultan's palace with the present, as early as the day before. But when she came there, she found the gates of the divan shut, and understood that the council sat but every other day, therefore she must come again the next. This news she carried to her son, whose only relief was to guard himself with patience. She went six times afterwards on the days appointed, placed herself always directly before the sultan, but with as little success as the first morning, and might have perhaps come a thousand times to as little purpose, if luckily the sultan himself had not taken particular notice of her, for only those who came with petitions approached the sultan, when each pleaded their cause in its turn, and Alla ad Deen's mother was not one of them. On the sixth day, however, after the divan was broken up, when the sultan returned to his own apartment, he said to his grand vizier, I have for some time observed a certain woman, who attends constantly every day that I give audience, with something wrapped up in a napkin. She always stands up from the beginning to the breaking up of the audience, and affects to place herself just before me. Do you know what she wants? Sir, replied the grand vizier, 
who knew no more than the sultan what she wanted, but did not wish to seem uninformed. "'Your majesty knows that women often make complaints on trifles. Perhaps she may come to complain to your majesty that somebody has sold her some bad flour, or some such trifling matter.' The sultan was not satisfied with this answer, but replied, "'If this woman comes to our next audience, do not fail to call her, that I may hear what she has to say.' The Grand Vizier made answer by lowering his hand, and then lifting it up above his head, signifying his willingness to lose it if he failed. By this time the tailor's widow was so much used to go to audience and stand before the sultan, that she did not think it any trouble, if she could but satisfy her son that she neglected nothing that lay in her power to please him. The next audience day she went to the divan, placed herself in front of the sultan as usual, and before the grand vizier had made his report of business, the sultan perceived her, and compassionating her for having waited so long, said to the vizier, "'Before you enter upon any business,' Remember the woman I spoke to you about. Bid her come near, and let us hear and dispatch her business first. The Grand Vizier immediately called the chief of the mace-bearers, who stood ready to obey his commands, and pointing to her, bade him go to that woman, and tell her to come before the Sultan. The chief of the officers went to Ala ad dins mother, and at a sign he gave her, she followed him to the foot of the Sultan's throne, where he left her and retired to his place by the Grand Vizier. The old woman, after the example of others whom she saw salute the Sultan, bowed her head down to the carpet, which covered the platform of the throne, and remained in that posture till the Sultan bade her rise, which she had no sooner done than he said to her, Good woman, I have observed you to stand a long time, from the beginning to the rising of the divan, what business brings you here? After these words, Alaeddin's mother prostrated herself a second time, and when she arose, said, Monarch of monarchs, before I tell your majesty the extraordinary and almost incredible business which brings me before your high throne, I beg of you to pardon the boldness, or rather impudence, of the demand I am going to make which is so uncommon that I tremble, and am ashamed to propose it to my sovereign. In order to give her the more freedom to explain herself, the sultan ordered all to quit the divan but the grand vizier, and then told her she might speak without restraint. Allah ad dins mother, not content with this favour of the sultan's, to save her the trouble and confusion of speaking before so many people, was notwithstanding for securing herself against his anger, which, from the proposal she was going to make, she was not a little apprehensive of. Therefore, resuming her discourse, she said, I beg of your majesty, if you should think my demand the least injurious or offensive, to assure me first of your pardon and forgiveness. Well, replied the sultan, I will forgive you, be it what it may, and no hurt shall come to you. Speak boldly. When Alla ad dins mother had taken all these precautions, for fear of the sultan's anger, she told him faithfully how Alla ad din had seen the princess Budir al-Badur. 
the violent love that fatal sight had inspired him with, the declaration he had made to her of it when he came home, and what representations she had made to dissuade him from a passion no less disrespectful, said she, to your majesty as sultan, than to the princess your daughter. But, continued she, my son, instead of taking my advice and reflecting on his presumption, was so obstinate as to persevere, and to threaten me with some desperate act if I refused to come and ask the princess in marriage of your majesty. And it was not without the greatest reluctance that I was led to accede to his request, for which I beg your majesty once more to pardon not only me, but also Alla ad-Din my son, for entertaining so rash a project as to aspire to so high an alliance. The sultan hearkened to this discourse with mildness, and without showing the least anger. But before he gave her any answer, asked her what she had brought tied up in the napkin. She took the china dish, which she had set down at the foot of the throne, before she prostrated herself before him, untied it, and presented it to the sultan. The sultan's amazement and surprise were inexpressible when he saw so many large, beautiful, and valuable jewels collected in the dish. He remained for some time motionless with admiration. At last, when he had recovered himself, he received the present from Allah ad mother's hand, crying out in a transport of joy, How rich! How beautiful! After he had admired and handled all the jewels, one after another, he turned to his grand vizier, and showing him the dish, said, Behold, admire, wonder, and confess that your eyes never beheld jewels so rich and beautiful before. The vizier was charmed. Well, continued the sultan, what sayest thou to such a present? Is it not worthy of the princess my daughter? And ought I not to bestow her on one who values her at so great price? These words put the grand vizier into extreme agitation. The sultan had some time before signified to him his intention of bestowing the princess on a son of his. Therefore he was afraid, and not without grounds, that the sultan, dazzled by so rich and extraordinary a present, might change his mind. Therefore, going to him, and whispering him in the ear, he said, I cannot but own that the present is worthy of the princess, but I beg of your majesty to grant me three months before you come to a final resolution. I hope before that time my son, on whom you have had the goodness to look with a favourable eye, will be able to make a nobler present than Allah ad who is an entire stranger to your majesty. The sultan, though he was fully persuaded that it was not possible for the vizier to provide so considerable a present for his son to make the princess, yet, as he had given him hopes, hearkened to him and granted his request. Turning, therefore, to the old widow, he said to her, Good woman, go home and tell your son that I agree to the proposal you have made me, but I cannot marry the princess my daughter till the paraphernalia I design for her be got ready, which cannot be finished these three months, but at the expiration of that time come again. Alla ad mother returned home 
much more gratified than she had expected, since she had met with a favourable answer, instead of the refusal and confusion she had dreaded. For two circumstances, Alla ad when he saw his mother returning, judged that she brought him good news. The one was that she returned sooner than ordinary, and the other the gaiety of her countenance. "'Well, mother,' said he, "'may I entertain any hopes, or must I die with despair?' When she had pulled off her veil, and had seated herself on the sofa by him, she said to him, "'Not to keep you long in suspense, son, I will begin by telling you that instead of thinking of dying, you have every reason to be well satisfied. Then, pursuing her discourse, she told him that she had an audience before everybody else, which made her come home so soon, the precautions she had taken lest she should have displeased the sultan by making the proposal of marriage between him and the princess Budir al-Budur, and the condescending answer she had received from the sultan's own mouth, and that as far as she could judge, the present had wrought a powerful effect. "'But when I least expected it,' said she, "'and he was going to give me an answer, "'and I fancied a favourable one, "'the Grand Vizier whispered him in the ear, "'and I was afraid might be some obstacle "'to his good intentions towards us. "'And so it happened, "'for the Sultan desired me to come to audience again "'this day three months.' Allah ad thought himself the most happy of all men at hearing this news, and thanked his mother for the pains she had taken in the affair, the good success of which was of so great importance to his peace. Though from his impatience to obtain the object of his passion, three months seemed an age, yet he disposed himself to wait with patience, relying on the sultan's word, which he looked upon to be irrevocable. But all that time, he not only counted the hours, days, and weeks, but every moment. When two of the three months were passed, his mother one evening going to light the lamp, and finding no oil in the house, went out to buy some, and when she came into the city, found a general rejoicing. The shops, instead of being shut up, were open, dressed with foliage, silks, and carpeting, every one striving to show their zeal in the most distinguished manner, according to his ability. The streets were crowded with officers in habits of ceremony, mounted on horses richly caparisoned, each attended by a great many footmen. Allah ad mother asked the oil merchant what was the meaning of all this preparation of public festivity. "'Whence came you, good woman?' said he. "'That you don't know!' that the Grand Vizier's son is to marry the Princess Budir al-Budur, the Sultan's daughter, to-night. She will presently return from the baths, and these officers whom you see are to assist at the cavalcade to the palace, where the ceremony is to be solemnized. This was news enough for Allah ad mother. She ran till she was quite out of breath home to her son, who little suspected any such event. Child! cried she, you are undone. You depend upon the sultan's fine promises, but they will come to nothing. Al-Adin was alarmed at these words. Mother, replied he, how do you know the sultan has been guilty of a breach of promise? This night, answered the mother, 
the grand vizier's son is to marry the princess Budir al-Budur. She then related how she had heard it, so that from all circumstances he had no reason to doubt the truth of what she said. At this account, Allah ad was thunderstruck. Any other man would have sunk under the shock, but a sudden hope of disappointing his rival soon roused his spirits, and he bethought himself of the lamp, which had on every emergence been so useful to him, and without venting his rage in empty words against the sultan, the vizier, or his son, he only said, Perhaps, mother, the vizier's son may not be so happy to-night as he promises himself. While I go into my chamber a moment, do you get supper ready? She accordingly went about it, but guessed that her son was going to make use of the lamp, to prevent, if possible, the consummation of the marriage. When Allah ad had got into his chamber, he took the lamp, rubbed it in the same place as before, when immediately the genie appeared and said to him, What wouldst thou have? I am ready to obey thee as thy slave, and the slave of all those who have that lamp in their possession, I and the other slaves of the lamp. Hear me, said Allah ad Thou hast hitherto brought me whatever I wanted as to provisions, but now I have business of the greatest importance for thee to execute. I have demanded the princess Badir al-Badur in marriage of the sultan her father. He promised her to me, only requiring three months' delay, but instead of keeping that promise, has this night married her to the grand vizier's son. What I ask of you is that as soon as the bride and bridegroom are retired, you bring them both hither in their bed. Master, replied the genie, I will obey you. Have you any other commands? None at present, answered Allah ad The genie then disappeared. Allah ad having left his chamber, supped with his mother, with the same tranquillity of mind as usual, and after supper talked of the princess's marriage as of an affair wherein he had not the least concern. He then retired to his own chamber again, and left his mother to go to bed, but sat up waiting the execution of his orders to the genie. In the meantime, everything was prepared with the greatest magnificence in the sultan's palace to celebrate the princess's nuptials, and the evening was spent with all the usual ceremonies and great rejoicings till midnight when the grand vizier's son, on a signal given him by the chief of the princess's eunuchs, slipped away from the company and was introduced by that officer into the princess's apartment, where the nuptial bed was prepared. He went to bed first, and in a little time after, the sultaness, accompanied by her own women and those of the princess, brought the bride, who, according to the custom of new-married ladies, made great resistance. The sultaness herself helped to undress her, put her into bed by a kind of violence, and, after having kissed her and wished her good night, retired with the women to her own apartments. No sooner was the door shut than the genie, as the faithful slave of the lamp, and punctual in executing the command of those who possessed it, without giving the bridegroom the least time to caress his bride, to the great amazement of them both, took up the bed and transported it in an instant into Allah ad chamber, where he set it down. Allah ad who had waited impatiently for this moment, 
did not suffer the vizier's son to remain long in bed with the princess. "'Take this new-married man,' said he to the genie, "'shut him up in the outhouse, and come again to-morrow morning before daybreak.' The genie instantly forced the vizier's son out of bed, carried him whither Alla ad-Din had commanded him, and, after he had breathed upon him, which prevented him stirring, left him there. Passionate as was Alla ad-Din's love for the princess, he did not talk much to her when they were alone, but only said with a respectful air, "'Fear nothing, adorable princess. You are here in safety, for notwithstanding the violence of my passion, which your charms have kindled, it shall never exceed the bounds of the profound adoration I owe you. If I have been forced to come to this extremity, it is not with any intention of affronting you, but to prevent an unjust rival's possessing you, contrary to the sultan your father's promise in favour of myself. The princess, who knew nothing of these particulars, gave very little attention to what Allah ad could say. The fright and amazement of so surprising and unexpected an adventure had alarmed her so much that he could not get one word from her. However, he undressed himself, took the bridegroom's place, but lay with his back to the princess, putting a sabre between himself and her, to show that he deserved to be put to death if he attempted anything against her honour. Allah ad satisfied with having thus deprived his rival of the happiness he had flattered himself with, slept very soundly, though the princess Badir al-Badur never passed a night so ill in her life. And if we consider the condition in which the genie left the grand vizier's son, we may imagine that the new bridegroom spent it much worse. Allah ad had no occasion the next morning to rub the lamp to call the genie, who appeared at the hour appointed, just when he had done dressing himself, and said to him, "'I am here, master. What are your commands?' "'Go,' said Allah ad "'fetch the vizier's son out of the place where you left him, "'put him into his bed again, and carry it to the sultan's palace from whence you brought it.' "'The genie presently returned with the vizier's son. "'Allah ad took up his sabre. "'The bridegroom was laid by the princess.' and in an instant the nuptial bed was transported into the same chamber of the palace from whence it had been brought. But we must observe that all this time the genie never was visible either to the princess or the grand vizier's son. His hideous form would have made them die with fear. Neither did they hear anything of the discourse between Allah ad and him. They only perceived the motion of the bed and their transportation from one place to another which we may well imagine was enough to alarm them. As soon as the genie had set down the nuptial bed in its proper place, the sultan tapped at the door to wish her good morning. The grand vizier's son, who was almost perished with cold, by standing in his thin undergarment all night, and had not had time to warm himself in bed, no sooner heard the knocking at the door than he got out of bed and ran into the robing chamber, where he had undressed himself the night before. The sultan, having opened the door, went to the bedside, kissed the princess between the eyes, according to custom, wished her a good morrow, but was extremely surprised to see her so melancholy. She only cast at him a sorrowful look, expressive of great affliction or great dissatisfaction. 
he said a few words to her, but finding that he could not get a word from her, attributed it to her modesty, and retired. Nevertheless, he suspected that there was something extraordinary in this silence, and thereupon went immediately to the sultaness's apartment, told her in what a state he had found the princess, and how she had received him. "'Sir,' said the sultaness, "'your majesty ought not to be surprised at this behaviour. "'New married people have naturally a reserve about them. Two or three days hence she will receive the sultan her father as she ought. "'But I will go and see her,' added she. "'I am much deceived if she receives me in the same manner.' "'As soon as the sultaness was dressed, "'she went to the princess's apartment, who was still in bed. "'She undrew the curtain, wished her good morrow, and kissed her. "'But how great was her surprise when she returned no answer, "'and looking more attentively at her, "'she perceived her to be much dejected, "'which made her judge that something had happened "'which she did not understand. "'How comes it, child?' said the sultaness that you do not return my caresses. Ought you to treat your mother after this manner? I am induced to believe something extraordinary has happened. Come, tell me freely, and leave me no longer in a painful suspense. At last the princess broke silence with a deep sigh, and said, Alas, most honoured mother, forgive me if I have failed in the respect I owe you. My mind is so full of the extraordinary circumstances which have befallen me this night that I have not yet recovered my amazement and alarm. She then told her how the instant after she and her husband were together, the bed was transported into a dark, dirty room, where he was taken from her and carried away, but where she knew not, and that she was left alone with a young man, who, after he had said something to her, which her fright did not suffer her to hear, laid himself in her husband's place, but first put his sabre between them, and in the morning her husband was brought to her again, when the bed was transported back to her own chamber in an instant. All this, said she, was but just done when the sultan my father came into my chamber. I was so overwhelmed with grief that I had not power to speak and am afraid that he is offended at the manner in which I received the honour he did me. But I hope he will forgive me, when he knows my melancholy adventure, and the miserable state I am in at present. The sultaness heard all the princess told her very patiently, but would not believe it. "'You did well, child,' said she, "'not to speak of this to your father. Take care not to mention it to anybody.' for you will certainly be thought mad if you talk in this manner. Madam, replied the princess, I can assure you I am in my right senses. Ask my husband, and he will tell you the same circumstances. I will, said the sultaness, but if he should talk in the same manner, I shall not be better persuaded of the truth. Come, rise, and throw off this idle fancy. It will be a strange event if all the feasts and rejoicings in the kingdom should be interrupted by such a vision. Do you not hear the trumpets of congratulation and concerts of the finest music? Cannot these inspire you with joy and pleasure? 
and make you forget the fancies of an imagination disturbed by what can have been only a dream at the same time the sultaness called the princess's women and after she had seen her get up and begin dressing went to the sultan's apartment told him that her daughter had got some odd notions in her head but that there was nothing in them but idle fantasy she then sent for the vizier's son to know of him something of what the princess had told her but he thinking himself highly honoured to be allied to the sultan and not willing to lose the princess denied what had happened that is enough answered the sultaness i ask no more i see you are wiser than my daughter the rejoicings lasted all that day in the palace and the sultaness who never left the princess forgot nothing to divert her and induce her to take part in the various diversions and shows but she was so struck with the idea of what had happened to her in the night that it was easy to see her thoughts were entirely taken up with it neither was the grand vizier's son in less tribulation though his ambition made him disguise his feelings so well that nobody doubted of his being a happy bridegroom Allah ad deen who was well acquainted with what passed in the palace was sure the new-married couple were to sleep together again notwithstanding the troublesome adventure of the night before and therefore having as great an inclination to disturb them had recourse to his lamp and when the genie appeared and offered his service he said to him the grand vizier's son and the princess badir al badur are to sleep together again to-night go and as soon as they are in bed bring the bed hither as thou didst yesterday the genie obeyed as faithfully and exactly as the day before the grand vizier's son passed the night as coldly and disagreeably and the princess had the mortification again to have allah ad deen for her bedfellow with the sabre between them the genie according to orders came the next morning brought the bridegroom laid him by his bride and then carried the bed and new-married couple back again to the palace the sultan after the reception the princess had given him was very anxious to know how she had passed the second night and therefore went into her chamber as early as the morning before the grand vizier's son more ashamed and mortified with the ill success of this last night no sooner heard him coming than he jumped out of bed and ran hastily into the robing chamber the sultan went to the princess's bedside and after the same caresses he had given her the former morning bade her good morrow well daughter said he are you in a better humour than yesterday still the princess was silent and the sultan perceiving her to be more troubled and in greater confusion than before doubted not that something very extraordinary was the cause but provoked that his daughter should conceal it he said to her in a rage with his sabre in his hand daughter tell me what is the matter or i will cut off your head immediately the princess more frightened at the menaces and tone of the enraged sultan than at the sight of the drawn sabre at last broke silence and said with tears in her eyes my dear father and sultan i ask your majesty's pardon if i have offended you and hope that out of your goodness and clemency you will have compassion on me when i shall have told you in what a miserable condition i have spent this last night as well as the preceding after this preamble 
which appeased and affected the sultan she told him what had happened to her in so moving a manner that he who loved her tenderly was most sensibly grieved she added if your majesty doubts the truth of this account you may inform yourself from my husband who i am persuaded will tell you the same thing the sultan immediately felt all the extreme uneasiness so surprising an adventure must have given the princess daughter said he you are much to blame for not telling me this yesterday since it concerns me as much as yourself i did not marry you with an intention to make you miserable but that you might enjoy all the happiness you deserve and might hope for from a husband who to me seemed agreeable to you if face all these troublesome ideas from your memory i will take care that you shall have no more disagreeable and insupportable nights as soon as the sultan had returned to his own apartment he sent for the grand vizier vizier said he have you seen your son and has he told you anything the vizier replied no the sultan related all the circumstances of which the princess had informed him and afterwards said i do not doubt but that my daughter has told me the truth but nevertheless i should be glad to have it confirmed by your son therefore go and ask him how it was end of section eighteen